There's this, there's this story that I heard probably for the first time almost 20 years ago when I was very young because I'm not old at all. Um, no gray hairs or anything. But there was this story about this guy who was walking down the beach and every once in a while of the hundreds of starfish that were sitting on the shore, he'd pick one of them up and chuck them back into the water. After seeing the same guy do this day after day after day, someone finally asked him, well, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I'm saving the starfish. And they're like, this is ridiculous. You're going on a walk, and there's hundreds or thousands of them washed up on this beach. And you throw back, like, maybe, what, 12 a day? Does it even really matter? And the guy just kind of picks one up, looks at it, chucks it back in the water and says, made a difference to that one. And it's this kind of cliche story, right? I mean, you hear it and you almost go, well, of course, you know, you do a good thing and it's a good thing. Why, who would ever argue that point? Who would ever say doing a good thing isn't good enough? Why bother? But even as I say it, it sounds a little hollow coming out. Because if we're honest with ourselves, every single one of us has had a day where we look at all of the good things we could do and we say, we don't have time to get to them all. We can't save everyone. We can't comfort everyone. We can't prevent every hurt. So why bother? And then I read the Gospels. I read the stories of Jesus where Jesus comes in and he walks into a town and he knows about every single person that is hurt in that town. He knows every emotional distress. He knows every marriage that is on the rocks. He knows every kid that's mad at his parents and won't talk to him. He knows every single person who's got a bad back or they're in pain when they go to bed at night because they just can't find the right way to find rest. The incarnate Son of God walks into a town and he knows that about every single person who's there. And then the people line up and they want to tell him all about what's wrong. They want to tell him what he already knows. They want to tell him about their bad backs or the struggle with their relationships and their family. And he listens. You read through the Gospels, there's times that Jesus sits down and he listens to people tell him things he already knows. Because it makes a difference. And so, unfortunately, one of the side effects of having the mass media that we've got is that you can go on Twitter and you can hear all about wars and famines and things where hundreds of thousands of people are affected by opening your phone. And so the world seems like this big, scary, awful, broken place, and it is. And then you start to ask yourself, if you're not careful, what in the world could I possibly do to make any sort of dent in this? So you start to maybe cut deals with yourself. Say, well, maybe if I kind of reserve what I've got, I, I kind of hoard my resources a bit, maybe I can make enough of a difference in this little corner if I just ignore everything else. 
You know, you, you start to try and figure out, you make those, those tough calls. You say, well, we can save this much, but not those. You know, it's like a trope in war movies. You know, you have to make those tough calls and you have to withdraw, you know? And so we kind of see ourselves in that role. We have to choose who we can't help anymore. And so when I read through James, I see this, this dichotomy that he's setting up, this difference between earthly wisdom and godly or heavenly wisdom. And he doesn't set them up as like different versions of the same thing. He sets them up as completely opposed ways of looking at the world. What seems like wisdom, if you don't take God into account, is completely different from what the wise thing to do is if you take God into account. And so you find yourself looking at the, these distinctions. You know, earthly wisdom, it tries to manage your resources. It tries to, to kind of hoard things in your little corner. It eventually it leads to you, as James says, to being bitter and selfish or boastful or false. Because it's all focused on what you can do and what you can do to help affect. And it all comes down to you. And if you're successful, you start to resent the people you're helping. And if you're unsuccessful, you start to become bitter because you're trying so hard and it doesn't seem to do anything worthwhile. There's no winning if it's all up to you. It's an awful place to be. I think one of the biggest differences in in heavenly wisdom or godly wisdom is that you have this basic assumption that God will provide whatever you need to do what he asks you to do. It's this lighter yoke. It's not all up to you. You don't have to do everything. You don't even have to provide everything that's necessary to do your little part that God is asking you to do. You just have to listen. He gives you a job. And then you trust that he's going to make it possible and you go try your best. It's this lighter responsibility because now all of a sudden it's not your job to go and fix everything. It's your job to listen. It's your job to be compassionate when someone walks up and has a problem. It's your job to do whatever God would do in the moment. And James, at the, at the end of our reading this morning, verses 7 and 8, he kind of, he slides this in there. And I'm not going to claim to know why he did so. But I'm going to tell you what this little inclusion means to me. In verses 7 and 8, he says, Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. I've heard this dissected a number of ways and saying, well, that means if you feel like God is far away from you, it's your fault. And I think that's an awful reading of this verse. What it does to me is it gives me a sense of responsibility that it is up to me to resist the devil. But it's not up to me to guarantee an outcome. I think if the devil flees from me, it doesn't mean he's beaten. She means he's working somewhere else. (laughs) It's our job not to be easy targets because we draw near to God. It's our job to be listening to what the right thing is and to be ignoring what that earthly wisdom might suggest to us we have to do. And so you have this balance where 
who are you allowing to be the source of your wisdom? Is it you? Hopefully not. I think that the, the trap there is that earthly wisdom has us focus on things that are out of our control, but we like to believe that we can control them. So it says the devil is working to corrupt the world, and so if we don't have what we need, we should just take it by force if we need it. You know, if, if something isn't right, we need to fight against it. It's this conflict. It's us versus them instead of God versus evil. Instead of being a part of a larger picture, it puts us at the center. And then again, it, you, you fall into that trap of, well, if I can't save everything, if I can't do everything myself, you, you get a little depressed about it. You get discouraged. Or you start to think about, maybe there are things that you feel like God is telling you that you should share with someone. And you start to think to yourself, well, I, I, I can't say that. Because what are they gonna? What are they gonna think of me? What are? What if they don't receive it the right way? What if? What if? What if? You start playing through in your head all the ways it could go wrong. But again, do you trust that if God is asking you to do something, that He will provide everything you need to handle the outcome? If so, you don't need to worry so much. And so this this idea of the heavenly wisdom all throughout Scripture, it's it's seems rooted in this idea that the fear of the Lord, not meaning we're, we're terrified of the next lightning bolt, but that we have a healthy respect for how powerful he is and how much stronger and smarter and wiser than us he is. And so you have this, this fear in the sense that you recognize something that is greater than you are and completely out of your control. So you don't try to control God at all. And so you assume that if God is at work to redeem the whole world, and he's bigger and wiser and smarter and stronger than we are, and if God wants to save everyone, then we can't leave anyone out. And so we start to fearlessly proclaim the gospel of God. And I don't just mean the Romans road. I don't just mean, well, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved, you and your household. Although that's a huge part of it. Christianity is more than just saying some words and showing up to church. It's a story of redeeming all that is broken. It's a story of comfort for those who are afflicted. It's a story of joy in the midst of hardship. Taking what is broken and making it whole and redeemed again. If we believe that God is about that work, then we should be too. And we can think of a thousand reasons why it's not going to work and why it's going to be depressing and awful and it's going to be, we're just not enough and we can't do it, so someone else has to. But that's earthly wisdom talking. And so those people whose names you can't remember who are right here in the sanctuary, maybe 10 feet from you right now. Maybe it's a parent of someone, some other kid at the playground when you're watching your kids. Maybe it's your coworkers or your classmates or your neighbors that you've maybe never met. The truth of the gospel is that God wants to redeem them all. And I think the first step of that is to let them know that they are loved. So as at the 
International Day of Peace celebration this last Friday, which was a bunch of 200-some students from around Monroe County, uh, middle school and high school students, showed up. And we were trying to advocate for peace and to send them back to their schools to bring peace to their schools. It wasn't an explicitly Christian event, but it's a very Christian thing to do, if you get my meaning. So there's a, a girl who was about 17 who was one of the speakers at the opening. Her name was Rashida Kumar. And she said a beautiful thing because instead of laying responsibilities on these kids and telling them what they had to do and telling them how they had to go home and they had to change things, she told them that if you want to be a peacemaker, you have to be at peace. If you want to be a force for change, you have to know first that you are loved. And every one of you are loved because I love you. And all of a sudden, when she said that, it occurred to me. I looked out over that 200-some group of kids, and I realized, I wonder how long it's been since some of them have heard someone say, I love you. It seems like such a simple thing, and yet in that moment, I could almost feel something shift in some of those students when they realized how powerful it is to love and to be loved. So this is, this is the gospel. That when we love others, it's because Christ first loved us. We, as Christians, are people who know what it is like to be loved. And so that's why we're able to go and share that with other people. And so if some of you haven't heard this lately, I love you. God loves you. Whatever you've done, whatever you feel like you've messed up, wherever you feel trapped or stuck in a corner or you feel like you've just ruined everything, I love you and God loves you. Just as you are. We don't hear that enough. It changes everything. Now all of a sudden we go out and we leave this sanctuary and we feel like we can make a difference. Somebody loves me. I can love other people. Who wouldn't want to pass that on? And yet the message of the church gets lost in, well, you have to do this, and you can't do that, and here's your membership badge, and you can't like that church too much. And that guy down the street, you've got to really watch out for it. Like, no. <laughs> Can we just stop? God loves you, and I love you too. That is the essence of the gospel. Everything else comes later. And so most of the time when we're about ready to take communion, I say something about turning away from some attitude that we have that's wrong or turning away from something we've done where we've twisted something into something it shouldn't be and say, well, let's do this good thing instead. That's not what I want to do this morning. This morning when we come to this table, I want us to come and 
throw away the times that we've felt unloved. To take the times that we felt like nobody could possibly love us. And come to the table this morning saying, God loves me. Christ died for me. And just sit in that for a minute. It's moments like this that I'm especially glad that we have communion for everyone. So if this is one of your first times here and you don't know if you're welcome up here, of course you are. Because God loves you. Let's take communion together.